You say, do they embarrass you? No, I like it. I think it's great. You want to stand for a second? <clears throat> Let me just... You don't even have to worry about turning in your Bible. I'm going to read you a couple of verses and then I'm going to read you something and let you be seated before we get started. A little bit somber, maybe a little bit different for you. Just Apostle Paul comes the second time to Corinth and he has a few things to say. He deals not just with conditions in the ministry, but he gives you the realistic look of what Christianity is all about. Contrary to what the world tries to teach you and you have experienced over the last couple of years, you've seen some things that have changed and have, have shifted. And the charismatics have toned down the prosperity gospel to a certain degree because they've watched it crumble before their eyes. But sometimes Christians are disillusioned to the point that because they have an expectation of always having a deliverance, and everything is going to work out fine. That when that doesn't come the way they think it should come, the way that or when it should come, that all of a sudden they lose faith and they can get in a really dark place. The Apostle Paul says, so that the individuals would know, he said, Our hope is steadfast in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 7 to you is steadfast knowing that as you're partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia. We were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Brother Andrew, you pray, would you please? We need you every hour, Lord. I just pray that you meet with us this hour. Amen. Help us in ways that only you can help. Deliver people that need deliverance, Lord. Strengthen those that are weak. Lord, and we pray that if it be your will, you come tonight. And if not, Lord, you give us what we need to endure until the time you come. And we ask that we be found faithful. Be with the preacher as he's about to give us what you've laid on his heart. Be with your word as you've been for the last thousands of years. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Paul continues in the passage. He said, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raised the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver. Later in the passage there in 2 Corinthians, he comes and he says, I come to you to make you an in great heaviness of heart, I come to you. Paul uses these words, it's quite a lengthy list in the book of 2 Corinthians to describe not just the ministry but Christians. He uses trials, persecution, trouble, questioned, cast down, afflictions, care of the brethren, anguish, perplexity, devour, smite, bondage. Weak, forsaken, faint, persecuted, sorry, grieved, down, perished, burdened, cast down, groaning, 
poor, chastened, hunger, beaten, perils, pain, infirmities, stoned, reproaches, offended, weariness, mourning, trembling, fear, poverty, affliction, despair, necessities, imprisonments, distressed, destructions, tumults, killed, tribulation, dying, suffering, terrified. That's all in 2 Corinthians. It doesn't sound like a very promising story, does it? It doesn't sound like what a lot of people want to tell you. The Lord says about Himself, He is a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. You know what I like about the Lord is He says to you, He said, We have not a high priest who cannot be touched with it. You men are not going to like this with the feelings of our infirmities. You know what he does tell you? What I like about the Bible is, is that in the Bible, the Lord is always good about telling you the truth about how life really is. And one of the things I have seen happen, especially during the last couple of years, that we've seen Christians that have gone through things that the world has gone through. I remember just a year ago, matter of fact, a week ago, it would have been one year ago, Michael, who was a friend of mine for several years, 45 years would be, we came through the police department together and came through, hunted together and spent time together, best man at my wedding, best man at his wedding and, and those things. We were real close friends and uh, the virus got on him and it wasn't a very long period of time, about 10 days or so, that absent from the body and present with the Lord and death came knocking at the door and I'm a Christian and I'm a preacher and he's a Christian. That's the guy that pinned me up against the wall and said he didn't want to hear anything about Jesus. And then a few weeks later, pulled over in the parking lot on the midnight shift and trusted the Lord as his Savior and sat back in the very back corner in the back row over there and sat there for years faithfully. Him and his wife came and now he's already gone. I'm watching now in the place I was just a few weeks ago, I got up to preach. I preached a message along these lines, not knowing that seated in that uh, congregation right there was a young girl, 12 years of age, who had a whole bunch of hash marks on her arms where at 12 years of age, she'd tried to kill herself. In the same congregation was a woman they asked me to speak to right after the service that night. Her mother came and asked the pastor. I went back and talked to her and I came out and I told the pastor and the mother, I said, you need to take her to see somebody. She is in bad condition. You say, what was she doing? Threatening to kill herself. I remember a few years ago, I remember being at home. It was 3 o'clock in the morning and my phone rang and I leaned over and I answered the phone and my wife said, who is it? And I told her who it was, this little girl who was struggling with heroin addiction and she said that uh, she was going to kill herself. Would you just stay on the phone with me, she said, while I, while I kill myself and I'm trying to figure out how I can get her. She won't tell me exactly where she is. I sat there till the morning hours when the sunshine came up and tried to talk her through that thing. But you know what she thought? She thought the only way out of her addiction was to kill herself. I was at a meeting a few weeks ago north of here and a lot of snow and stuff on the ground and I got up to preach and I preached uh, along these lines right here and talked about a boy that had uh, done some really bad things and the Lord went with him into prison and I used some illustrations and I used an illustration about an individual who went out in the back of his house back there and put a rope around his neck and hung himself and killed himself and this kid comes up after the meeting's over with he got saved right when I got finished there I, I didn't know somebody else led him to the Lord and he came out and I could tell he had had a rough life and he came up there I can't be more than 19 or 20 years of age and he said uh, you were talking to me tonight I said what do you mean I was talking to you he said you were talking to me he said I was hanging not too long ago he said three weeks ago I tried to hang myself I said what do you mean you tried and he said see 
and there are rope marks around his neck. I said, what happened? He said, they said that I was out for about 14 minutes and I kind of made a face. I couldn't catch myself. That's one of those utterances that happens without you're able to control it. And he said, I know what you're thinking. And he said, because I was without oxygen that long. He said, but only two parts of my brain don't work and the rest of it's still working okay. He said, I know I should have died. He goes, but you know what I know now? I know if I had died, I'd have been in hell. I said, what do you mean? You thought that was your only way out? And he said, I thought that was my only way out. I'm going to tell you some stories tonight about some Christians, some people who have come to points in their life where even as the Apostle Paul said, we desired even or distressed even of death. I'll show you a great preacher in the Old Testament who under pressure he acted out of character and he crawled up underneath a juniper tree. You know what he said? It's enough. Just let me die. You know what Job said when he was under pressure? Job was under pressure. You know what he said? It would have been better if I hadn't even been born. I'm sitting there talking in a meeting about three weeks ago now and a fella comes out and that kind of thing. I didn't know it. A big fella, big guy. As a matter of fact, it was last week or a week, just week before last. He comes up there. He's a big old giant of a man. He's about six foot four or so, probably cut around 280, 290. Big fella comes up there. He's all blowed up, you know, that kind of a thing. Pretty heavy set. Looked like a whiskey barrel on stilts there. And he walks up to me like that and he gets right up on top of me. And like, I don't know, he's trying to impress me or something, but he comes right up on top of me like that. And he said, uh, I've tried twice to hang myself. He said, the last one was last week. I said, well, what in the cat hair did you try to do that for, man? He said, he said, I can't handle the pressure anymore. He said, I've taken every kind of medicine you can take and done everything you can possibly do. And he said, there's this constant impending feeling of doom over me. He said, I walk around with a cloud over me all the time. He said, no matter how sunny it is outside, I just feel like I'd be better off if I was dead. And I'm really fighting and I'm really struggling. Will you pray for me? (laughs) Christian, in church. You say, surely it not be that way. Surely it can't be that way. I know a boy that was raised at his household. He was raised there. His dad, I knew his dad real well. His dad used to teach at the academy. And his son grew up over there. He was in high school. And he went to school there. And he fell in love. It was puppy love and those kinds of things right there. And the girl jilted him and didn't want anything to do with him. And he thought his life had come to an end. In church, raised in church, went to church every week. I want you to understand, saved boy went out back and went over in front of an oak tree there in the dental homeroom where she was in homeroom. She could see out the window and he took his dad's magnum and put it underneath the bottom of his chin. And you know what happened after that when he pulled the trigger? He said, what horrible stories. No, these are Christians that are overwhelmed with depression. You know, the thing I'm starting to recognize is, is that a lot of Christians who've been cooped up, you've been told what to do and where to go and how to do it, and all of a sudden they got you under pressure all the time. You don't know from what day to the next that they're going to change something. And nowadays it looks like a hurricane is coming down in Florida. They got gas lines because they're worried about gas going up to a point where they're not able to afford it. I'm not making light of that. That's a big deal. I mean, if you go from gasoline being $2.50 a gallon to 7 bucks a gallon, that can affect your budget. I mean, that's a hard thing. So you get it before it jumps. Because yesterday, even as a matter of fact, even gold went up $50. I don't track it because I don't have any. But a friend of mine called me. He said, man, in less than an hour, gold has gone up $50 because of what's happening. You see, what does it do? It produces anxiety, doesn't it? It produces fear. Now what they're starting to say is the shipping lanes are getting jammed up and we're, not having, we're having a problem getting grains in. And because the grain markets are down over here in Ohio and, and things are different now because of Ukraine being a breadbasket in Romania and all that area over there is all shut down because of the war. You're not going to be able to get food and you're going to have to cut back on your steak and your hamburgers and not going to be able to get meat, not going to be able to afford it. You hear that stuff all the time. You know what happens to you? You can't help but get somewhat 
anxious, especially if you got youngins. You get thinking about that stuff. You get worried about it. And then sometimes, you know what will begin to happen? You begin to get down on yourself. You begin to get hard on yourself. And you begin to think about what am I going to do and where am I going to go? A little girl told me one time, she said, Preacher, she said, I'm going to kill myself. She said, I know where I'm going when I die. And I said, are you sure? And she said, yeah, I'm sure. I said, you better hope you're right. I mean, I didn't know. I'm praying. I'm thinking, you know, what do you tell somebody? I mean, I've, I've had it happen from here to the wall in front of me. It's not something you ever, you can't unsee it. You know, what do you, what do you say? Well, you're there now. You can't wait. Hey, could you hold off a minute? Let me get an expert in here. You're kind of like there and like, okay. And then there it goes. And there's nothing you can do then. But I said, well, are you sure? I'm on the phone with her. And, and she said, well, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I believe in eternal security. I said, well, if you're really saved. <laughs> I'm trying to make her doubt she's saved. <laughs> That's funny. You say, why? I'm trying to talk her out of it. I said, if you're wrong, there ain't no coming back from hell, sister. I called her youngin'. She said, what'd you say? And I said, well, if you're wrong, I said, the demons will have you by the legs dragging you off to hell. You can't come back and go, well, I hope so. She goes, well, what if I pray now? I said, well, you're kind of praying under duress, aren't you? I said, I mean, what if you don't really mean it? What if you're just praying because you're whacked out right now or because you're coming off of some stuff? And, and she said, well, I thought you believe in eternal security. I said, I do, if you're really saved. <laughs> you say, you wouldn't want to retread her. And I was just trying to keep her from killing herself. She's got a loaded needle with a hot shot in it. She knows exactly how much to take in order to check out. She's got it right there. She knows exactly what to do. I have no doubt about what, no, none whatsoever she meant business. And I just said, I hope you're right. I hope that it'll, I hope it'll really happen. I don't know if you're not really saved, what would happen? Well, you think you wind up in heaven and the next thing you know, you're in a place you never get out. And now you're wishing, boy, I wish I could do that over again. Preacher, why do you bring that stuff up? Because it's something that's affecting our churches. It's not just affecting the world. It's not just people jumping off of buildings and things because of the crash, what they did back in the days of the Depression, and they lose their money, and they lose their 401Ks, and back in those days they lost their investment. It's people that are in depression. Look in your Bible, if you will, come all the way over to 1 Kings chapter number 19. Let's get a little Bible in here. One of the things that the Apostle Paul brings out that you don't hear much talked about is, is that sometimes life can be a drag, and it's not very uplifting. I even mentioned to the preacher, I said, I think the message, Lord, have me preach tonight. It's not one of those, you know, knee slappers, hop up and jump and run and skip. And it's not what you'd call a revival message because it doesn't really make you feel all joy, joy, joy down in my heart. It's preparing you for when difficulty comes your way. You know, when you get the diagnosis. I watched my wife a few years ago, and y'all are very familiar with it. Y'all are like family. This is our northern home in the summertime and that kind of a thing. And y'all come down and visit us in the wintertime. And we're grateful for the relationship we have with all of you and all of that. Well, you know that she went through the deal. We found out about the diagnosis, and we have the surgery, and then the radiation. The chemo starts, and the radiation starts, and those kind of things. I watched her teeter-totter back and forth and back and forth. And sometimes she would say, just because of the pain and the pressure that she was under, She'd say, you know what, I wonder if it'd be better off if I was just gone. And then other times she'd say, this has got to be an unreal burden on you and all that. And I'm thinking, yeah, man, I'm getting tired of peanut butter sandwiches. I wish you'd get up and fix something to eat, man. I mean, you're killing me here, babe. You know, it's like, no, I mean, you taking care of me. And I said, no, it's a breeze. I'm just trying to get my horse back in the race, man. I'm not, you know, that kind of a thing. I can't do without her. But I watched that. I watched when we went through a thing there that was something we hadn't planned for. You can't plan that stuff. 
You sit there and watch somebody you love and care about and they look like they're dwindling away and she look up there and kind of blink her eyes at you and say, I feel like I'm dying. I feel like I'm dying and if I am dying, let me go. You say, what is that? It's kind of suicidal. It's kind of, I'm sure I'll know where I'm going to go if I'm going to go. You know, if it comes back, just let it take me. I want to go. Just don't let me be hurting and don't let me be in pain. You say, what is that? It's a good Christian woman. She's been there with me for 40 years. 40 years, if you can imagine. Y'all should give her the Congressional Medal of Honor. <laughs> 40 years that she's been around. That You say, what happened? Pushed her right to the edge of everything. What's to say that wouldn't happen to you? I have a friend of mine down south. I won't mention any names or anything like that, but he called me one day and, and gave me a very, very distressed phone call and was very upset, and I jumped in the car and hightailed it down there to where he was. He said, Preacher, I walked in and I walked upstairs, and my son had taken my, my gun and had killed himself, 18 years old. See, it doesn't just happen to old people. It happens to young people. I remember being at church one day. This is back in the days when I would go to church and I'd take off my uniform and I'd preach that I'd put my uniform on, go back on duty and things like that. And I had just gotten out of there. I was, uh, I think I was a lieutenant at the time and I was a lieutenant at the time. And I got a call as soon as I got back in the car to a suicide and I walked over there. I'll never forget it. I walked into that room and when I walked in that room, that living room, that carpet was just as white as a sheet of paper, as light, white as my shirt right here. Just, just white, solid white. White couch, white sofa over here, white white uh, chairs and all that kind of stuff. Little old woman sitting over there, white-headed, sitting over there. I mean, it looked like it snowed in that living room. All the little lines on the vacuum laying to just perfect and this and that and the other. And she's sitting over there with her little old bony hands and she's all just sitting there just crying and wiping her face and crying and wiping her face and had a little note right there, a little handwritten note right there in her, in her lap there. I can see her sitting there. And I walked in there and the guys were telling me what all was going on. And I'd stop before I went back there to see all what was going on. And I said, ma'am, are you doing okay? That's a stupid question. What do you, what do you say? <laughs> ma'am, are you, are you doing okay? She said, why would he do that? Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Well, he had a terminal disease, and they had limited amounts of money and stuff like that. And he went back there in the bathroom and wrote her a letter and told her how much he loved her. And these boys are up here singing, let me tell you I love you, let me tell you I love you, and Lord, I love you. And I'm thinking, boy, I'm running back in my mind. And I walk back in there and see what all had transpired. I won't give you all the gross, gory details. You can paint the picture yourself there with a 12-gauge. And the reason he did that was is he said, I, I don't want to be a drain on you anymore. And I don't want to be a burden to you anymore. And I don't want to drain what we have financially away. And if, if I keep going the way I'm going, you won't have anything to live. And I'm going to die anyway. And he wrote the letter and off he went. Hope he was saved. She said he was. But sometimes depression can get you, can't it? I've got a dozen more of those stories that I could tell you over a period of time that I had the privilege of being around and had the privilege of seeing some things you can't unsee and to recognize there were just as many saved people in those situations there was lost people. Just as many people who lived at the top of the, of the pile as it is at the bottom of the pile. There was no economic difference in the, between them. I've seen them people with a Mercedes in the driveway. I've seen them living in a house, a million or more dollar house. I've seen them do that. I've seen them in the squalors. I've seen them in shooting galleries with needles in their necks and they decide they've had enough. It isn't just poor indigent people. Sometimes it's good people, well-meaning people that look like everything's got it all together. We're doing really good. Got a great career. Got a great job. Got a great family. Family, and the next thing you know, something happens and it snaps like an egg underneath a giant's heel. Depression is a real thing. 
I heard one, uh, 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 pardon me, I heard one uh, uh, donkey of a preacher get up and, and say publicly, you know, if you're taking medicine for any kind of depression or something like that, you don't trust Jesus and something's wrong with you. I felt like snatching them out of the pulpit. That's an individual that's never been around real life. Medicine helps some people. I know a lady back home who got off of her medicine because a preacher told her to get off the medicine and she killed her husband, cut his aorta with a, a steak knife there and then cut the telephone cord and then took a baby out and stabbed the baby 13 times and then went and got one blind daughter and the other daughter went out with a hammer and nails and was going to nail the baby to the floor when my guys got there because some preacher said, come off your medicine. And she was bipolar and manic depressive and schizophrenic and full of the devil and everything else you can imagine and went out to one of the most horrible things I've ever seen in my entire life. Right there on the floor, right there. A little baby said, what happened? Some preacher trying to play doctor. I'm not here to play doctor. I'm just here to tell you that if you don't watch it, the devil loved to take you and have your life cut short. Even though you're going to heaven, your life has been cut short, and then you leave all the collateral damage that's behind. And if you don't watch for it, there's not a soul in here that it won't touch and grab a hold of you. And at some point in time in your life, you'd be sitting there thinking, well, you know what? I've had all I can do. I'm going to lose the house. I'm going to lose the car. I'm going to lose my reputation. I'm going to lose my name. That one kid told me, he said, man, when my mom and dad find out what I've done and what's going to happen to me, he said, I just as well kill myself than to face them. I said, I'm sure they'll forgive you. He said, yeah, but they're going to be so ashamed and so embarrassed. Now, maybe you've never been there. Maybe what I'm going to say to you tonight won't amount to a row of pins. Maybe you'll see here tonight and it'll be a snooze fest for you. You'll be thinking to yourself, what do you have to depress me for? Well, you watch all that depressing stuff on the news all the time, so just suck it up for a church service for about 20 minutes or 30 minutes here and I'll be out of the way. But you've got to recognize something, ladies and gentlemen. This world is designed to get darker and darker and darker and darker because the prince of darkness is taken over and he wants to drag you into the throes of depression and he wants to make you think the sun is not coming up tomorrow and make you think that it is the end of the world and the best thing for you to do is cut out. You say, why? Every time he cuts one of you out, he cuts out another candlelight and then he cuts out a little more light and it gets darker and darker and darker. No matter how light you may be shining or how dark it may be around you, you're at least putting off some light and you do matter. But you leave kids without moms and dads and you leave them without brothers and sisters and you leave them behind with all the question marks in the world of should I have seen it? Should I have done something? Should I have acted quicker? And this and that and the other. Let me tell you something about it clinically just so that you know before I get into the message tonight. Clinically, if somebody wants to do that, you can't stop them unless you chain them to a wall. You can prolong it. You can put them in a cell, you can send them to the hospital, you can Baker Act them, you can strap them to a bed, you can give them all kind of counseling. But if they want to do it, they're going to find a way to get it done. And what you have to also remember is, is that when you're dealing with something like that, unless you're very specially trained, anybody suicidal is homicidal. They don't think anything about taking you and taking themselves with them. So if you don't know how to handle it, the best thing for you to do is, is pray and say, Bub my pray grade, call somebody. <laughs> Call 911 or something. But it's best for you not to try to get into the middle of that thing unless you want to bear the burden of not being able to talk them out of it and something happens to you. That's just for your own, that's a public service announcement. You're reading that passage there in 1 Kings chapter number 19. You come off of one of the greatest revivals that should have, should have, should have, should have taken place. 
Elijah comes out from underneath over there from the brook Kidron. He comes up there, eats the woman's last biscuit. Everybody knows the story. Raises the woman's boy back to life again and then goes over there and tells Ahab, hey, let's have a showdown at the OK Corral. And they go up there on top of Mount Carmel. Man, if you ever get a chance to go overseas, I doubt you will now with all the junk going over there. But if you ever do, you ought to at least go to that place. That place is something to see. You go up there, they got a big old statue up there, and Elijah's got this big old sword that's hanged standing there by his side. I know it's just a statue. It gave me chills to look at that thing, to think about that man standing up there all by himself. And you say, well, there were 7,000 that didn't bow the knee. Well, they didn't open their cotton picking mouth. Not a single one of them said anything. He didn't know they were around. Nobody called him to say, hey, we're with you. He might not have been under the juniper tree if he'd have known he had a little bit of help. Can I say this first and foremost? Sometimes the greatest way you can prevent things from happening is just to let somebody know, hey, if you need something, I'm right here. Hey, just let you know I'm, I'm in your corner. I'm in your back pocket. I'm close as a phone call. Uh, write them a card. Write them a letter. Send them a cotton-picking text or something because sometimes they feel like they're all alone. That's what happened to Elijah. He goes up there on the mountaintop, calls down fire from heaven after they rebuild the altar and those things. And boy, I'm going to tell you what, man, it comes a frog strangler up there and he's thinking there's going to be a great revival because he made the mistake of thinking that people were going to do what they said they were going to do. He made the mistake when they said, hey, if God, whoever's God wins the battle up there, that's whose God will serve. You know what he thought? They, they were telling the truth. And when Baal didn't come through and God came through, Elijah in his mind thought, we are going to have a great revival and the temple's going to be restored and worship is going to be restored and the altars of Baal are going to be restored. I'm going to insure it. I'm going to go kill the 450 prophets of Baal and it looks like the other 400 at Jezebel's table too. And I'm going to see to it that that takes place and boy hallelujah and the next thing you know the rain is coming down and he is thinking man this is great how could they miss God in all of that and he stands by and nobody even offers him a ride home and the rain falls and the animals are turning their face upward and finally getting a much needed drink of water and things nearly overnight seem to begin to flourish and the pastures begin to turn green and the flowers begin to bud and to bloom and the dirt and the dust begins to wash down off the houses and the gutters are once again full of water and the rain barrels are getting filled up and Elijah's thinking, boy, ain't this a blessing? Ain't God good after three and a half years? It has been dry as cracker juice around here. Hallelujah, boy, isn't this a blessing? He says to his servant, man, I'm I'm sure somebody somewhere, we're going to have a revival meeting. They're going to wonder what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. And the servant goes and he gets the writing and he said, Hey, hey, Elijah, we got an invitation to the throne room. Elijah said, Bust the seal, man. Read it to me. What does it say? He didn't think, read it and weep. He got a letter from Jezebel and said, If you're not like you made my prophets by this time tomorrow, my name ain't Jezebel. And the Bible says that when Elijah saw that, can I say this to him? It was the last straw. Now before you just accuse him of running from a one of them, let me tell you this, he's beginning to show signs of cracking up. You can't just say he's running from a woman when he just stood in front of 450 prophets of Baal, 400 that were seated at the table, a total of 850 prophets and the entire nation of Israel and the king and all of his henchmen and he by himself with a little servant there called down fire from heaven. If he wasn't afraid of that, ladies and gentlemen, you can't say, oh, he's afraid of the queen. Hold on just a second. He's cracking up. 
And he's thinking to himself, you say, well, you know, a preacher, now I don't really know that that's true. Listen, if he was worried about losing his life, if that was what the problem was, how come a little bit later on in the passage when he gets under the juniper tree, why does he say it's enough now, Lord, let me die? Well, why didn't he stay where he was and let him kill her? Or let her kill him? He's starting to crack up. He's starting to allow the things going on around him, beginning to put pressure on him. The things look bleak. The things look dark. In his mind, he's painted up a picture. There's not going to be the resurrection of the nation of Israel. In his mind, he is worthless. He's no good. You know what happens in depression? You begin to go from outward to inward, and you start looking at yourself, and the next thing you know, well, I'm no good. Well, I wasn't able to make the change. Well, I didn't do this. Well, I didn't do that. I couldn't lose the weight. I couldn't kick the addiction. I couldn't get a wife. I couldn't get a girlfriend. I couldn't get a boy friend. I'm, I'm worthless. I've been divorced. I've had many jobs. I've been in jail. I've been in prison. I've been this. I've been that. All of those things are to try to justify something that's unnatural. And that's to devalue yourself to the point that you can think I'm so uh, unvaluable. That's not a good word there. Invaluable, I guess, is the word. I'm, wor I'm so worthless that I'd be better off just to die. Your mind starts playing tricks on you. And you start making things worse than they actually are. And the next thing you know, he goes out there and what happens is, is the second thing that occurs is he begins to think the wrong way, but he has this desire to be by himself. You know one of the greatest escapes that there is nowadays? Sleep. You know why? Because when you're sleeping, you're disconnected from everything. You don't feel any pressure. You know one of the things that happen, you want to be by yourself and you just want to sleep. Just leave me alone. Just leave me alone. Just leave me alone. You go shut your doors. You go close the door. You turn on your music. You turn on your TV. You turn on your internet. You close the door. You want to be by yourself. Don't talk to me. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to be around people. I don't want to interact. I don't want to take the energy that it takes for me to be able to interact with you. Elijah goes out there and he stops at the edge of the wilderness there, right on the edge of the desert. You've heard the story before. You know what he says to his servant? He says, uh, go on and get out of here. And he said, well, preacher, you all not be going out there by yourself, man. I mean, bears and tigers and lions and robbers and all kind of stuff out there. He said, maybe I should go with you. He said, no, I don't need you to go with me. I ain't coming back. He doesn't say it in the text, but that's what he's saying. Where I'm going, you can't go, boy. And so he sends the servant off into the distance and out he goes into that hot, blistering, blazing sun, that old ball head getting burnt slap up and he's beginning to tromp out there and the more and more dehydrated he gets and the more and more upset he gets and the more and more heavy that burden becomes and the shoulders begin to roll over and the head posture begins to go down and he begins to walk and he looks like he's 105 years old, man, and he's trodden through there and that sun's just beating down on top of him and nothing's going right of all the places that there'll be something for him to trip over and he'll fall down in the sand and he'll throw the sand and now he's getting mad and he's getting upset and he gets on a little bit further out there into the wilderness and off in the distance there's a juniper tree. And he said, I guess that's as good a place as any. I'll make a juniper tree my tombstone. He begins to walk up to that thing, the evening time now, that blistering, blazing, 105 degree temperature sun is going down over there and a sort of a red glow comes out and begins to dance across that sky there and paint that whole area. It looks like red and that temperature drops about 40 degrees and he gets underneath that thing and there's bones of all kind of animals and stuff laying up underneath there where they had sought shelter and all the wild animals had attacked them and torn them to pieces and he lays down there on the boughs of those juniper trees, man, and he begins to quiver and shake. He pulls his knees up to his chest and he got himself wrapped up in here and he's cried himself to the point he's got no more tears. 
If you look at him in the moonlight, you know what you'll see? You'll see little stains running down here, those tracks of those tears that have dried now on the salt trails on his cheeks have dried up. And that old man with that wispy white hair and that old wiry beard is laying there trembling like the day he was born. And his prayer is, is it's enough, Lord. I'm no better, see him down on himself, than my father's. The people that were the prophets ahead of me, the preachers that were ahead of me, I'm no better than them. Just let me die. You better watch that stuff. Now, I, I want you to understand that I'm not for individuals going and praising themselves and lifting themselves up. And I understand all the stuff about low self-esteem. It's a real thing. I'm not talking about a facade. I'm not talking about doing it the wrong way. But you better be careful about being too hard on yourself. You know, I'm lowering whale poop in the bottom of the ocean. You're in bad shape, man. You're in bad shape. You say, why? You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You can amount to something. I've seen a man like Herbie amount to something. You say, what, what does Herbie ever do? Oh, he nothing compared to you. I'm nothing, nothing whatsoever. He couldn't sing a lick. He couldn't teach a Sunday school class. He couldn't do anything but walk around, roll up newspapers and, and put a 10 or $12 in an offering plate and be there every weekend and week out and so on and so forth. Knock no pigeon toes, mentally retarded and those kind of things. But he was doing what he could do. You got to be real careful when you start getting down on yourself. I've seen the Lord take individuals that are twisted up like a pretzel and use them for God's goodness and God's glory. No matter how low you think you are, you ever look at who God uses in the Bible? Why, David, he was a murderer and an adulterer. The Apostle Paul was imprisoning people. He was putting them in jail and making uh, orphans out of kids and widows out of women, putting them in jail and killing people, murdering them. Why, Moses murdered a man and buried him in the sand. All those people are misfixed. Peter, he deserted the Lord and denied the Lord. The Lord still used him. Be careful about thinking God can't use you. What could God do with me? I don't know. He could do something with you. It's not always you're able to do some big job. You know, well, you've messed up now. You're going to miss God's best. <laughs> well, who's to say that? Can't you understand that sometimes the greatest light shines through the cracked vessels? It's the vessels that are all full and those kind of things. You can't see the light. It's those ones that are humble and realize that in spite of who they are and in spite of what God knows them to be, that all of a sudden God's light shines through them and said, man, look what I can do with a busted vessel with an old greasy rag that we talked about last night. And that old boy's laying down underneath that thing and he said, it's enough, Lord, just let me die. You know what he's thinking? Either I'm going to die of hypothermia or exposure or an animal's going to come and kill me tonight and I'm going to be gone from this place here. He doesn't expect to happen what happened. You say, what happened, preacher? The interesting thing happened. It's a pretty, pretty interesting story. If you, found, you say, would you ever think that God would use a man like that, a prophet like that, a guy that's that mentally unstable? I mean, he should be cut out of the ministry. What kind of leader is that? No wonder the children of Israel didn't follow him. He's a whack-a-mole man. He's lost his mind. He's suicidal. He should be in the nut house in a straitjacket. They should be loading him up with Thorazine, man. He's self-harming. He's gone out there and exposing himself to, to die and starving to death and not drinking anything. He's dehydrated. He doesn't have any water in his system. And now he wants to die. There is not a court in the land that wouldn't have put him away. 
now that the world's done with him and now the children of Israel are done with him and now that the servant is done with him and now his contemporaries are done with him, none of them are around there. You know what happens? He's over there laying under the tree. You see him right there? Look at him. You would miss him. He looked like a bag of garbage laying there. He's all skinny. ain't nothing but skin and bones laying there. Probably got an old gray colored cloth looking robe around him. He's sitting there shaking like a dog pooping a peach seed, man. Just trembling and shaking all over, man. He can't hardly, can't hardly control himself there. And he's shaking and he's mumbling and he's chewing on his tongue and the Lord comes by there and said, well, look at that, man. And here he is sound asleep. You see him in the moonlight? See that moon dancing off of them old gray hairs there and off of that old beard? He's got food and dirt and stuff all stuck in his beard there and the Lord brushes that old white hair out of his face right there and probably if I was painting it, I'd have the Lord just take his coat off and lay it on him right there and get him nice and warm and go over and start a fire. Get that fire going good and let him sleep over there for a while. You say, what did he need? He needed some rest. Well, you know how the story goes. The worst time of Elijah's life winds up being the best time of Elijah's life. And he wakes up and he looks out across that fire right there and he's thinking, well, it must be, must be in heaven. That looks like the Son of God sitting over there. and Man, my eyes burn. I feel like sand's all in them and stuff. I could swear I smell biscuits cooking. And he looks over there and the Lord says, you hungry? What a thing. Are you thirsty? Are you cold? Do you need some light? you need some protection? you feel like you're all by yourself? Everybody's turned their back on you. Well, here I am. The lion roars off in the distance and he kind of shakes for a second there. And the Lord said, you don't have to worry about him. He looks in the direction of the lion and the next thing you know, the lion goes from a roar to purring like a little kitten and a hyena's laughing over here and cutting up. And the Lord cuts his eyes over to the hyena and the hyena says, excuse me, sir, I'm sorry. I apologize for that. I, I didn't realize you were here. And he says, leave my preacher alone. The animals back off. They're just, if I could paint, I'd have them all around that fire, just on the outer portions of that glowing light right there. I'd have Elijah's face lit up and the Lord's face lit up and the glow of that fire there. And I'd have all those animals like they're a congregation, like they're a people that are there watching, spectators watching what's going on, looking at this conversation. I'd paint it that way. I'd have that light dancing out a little lighter down at the bottom and, and then it begins to fade a little bit as you come up. I'd have Elijah up there on one arm and he's kind of looking around that way. I'd have the Lord drag a log around there to kind of make him sort of comfortable and try to get him fixed up like that. And I'd have him, did you ever think about it? He said there was some water there. What did he put the water in? If I could paint it, I'd have a crystal pitcher there and crystal glasses. Waterford crystal, the best. I'd have that there and I'd have the Lord there with a little towel over his arm, you know, and serving him a biscuit. And I'd have Elijah eating that biscuit, and so he was so full, man, he looked like one of them puppies got stuck in puppy chow. 
his belly is bigger than his legs are, you know, and the puppy can't walk and he just falls over in the grass and finally just goes to sleep with it. He looks like a pregnant when he's a puppy kind of a thing. I'd have him swole up like that and I'd have him talking to the Lord and I'd have him going, Lord, I really, I really want to talk to you. And I'd have him like some of y'all, you know, it's kind of like I can't keep my eyes open. I'm really trying. I'm, I really do. I'm really trying. And, I, and the Lord's like, hey, you sleeping? Are you tired? Are you worn out? Do you know there's not much sense trying to talk sense into somebody when they're just completely exhausted? You know the best thing you can do when people get that way? Give them something to eat. Give them something to drink. Give them something to make them feel cozy and warm. And let them rest. Tell them you'll take care of everything until they get back on their feet. You say, what does that do? You can't try to talk sense into them right then. The Lord's got better sense than that. Well, he wakes back up on the second trip through there. It's an interesting thing there. You have to study it, and he gets up from there, and you think, oh, okay, I'm getting ready to go. I'm going to go on the strength. Yeah, but the passage doesn't stop there. It's amazing the Lord doesn't kick him, doesn't say anything to him about his failure or even entertain his foolishness. He gets up there, and he goes into a cave. You say, why? That thing hadn't left him yet. You say, what happened? He's looking for a dark space hanging around with the wrong people in dark places, wait until 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and be entertained by the blue glow of the Internet or the TV, and it's dark around them. Why? Men love darkness rather than light. Say, why? Because they, they're feeling dark. They're feeling blue. Their atmosphere is uh, it, it's connected to who they are. You look at him now, he's in a cave. No light in the cave. He's in there for shelter. And the Lord said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now it's starting to come out. Elijah said, well, I alone contended for thee, and there was nobody else around me, and they seek my life. <laughs> well, now, wait a minute, Elijah. Jezebel was seeking to kill you, and then you tried to kill yourself or said you were ready to die, and now you're saying they're trying to kill you. Well, which one is it? See, he's still depressed. You come down on that passage over there and that thing, you know what you'll read? You'll read down about, oh, about seven or eight more verses. You know what he'll say? He says again, he said, uh, I alone have contended for thee and uh, nobody was there to help me and I was all by myself and nobody cared about me. You know the Lord's retort? There's 7,000 hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. Now go anoint the king and call you a helper, Elisha. How did he overcome that? Ladies and gentlemen, I hate to tell you a hard truth that I'm fixing to tell you, but I've been around long enough to tell you this. I don't believe that without God's help, there are some things you can overcome, and one of them is the suicidal tendencies and suicidal thoughts. It has a tendency to circle back around. It doesn't mean you're mentally insane or that you have some kind of diagnosed disease. It may be connected with demon possession. It might be connected with fatigue. It might be connected with self-debasement uh, uh, and those kinds of things. I don't have an answer to all that. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I can tell you this. You need supernatural help to be able to pull you out and to continue to do to what God wants you to do. And just because you've done that, you know what happens? The Lord never brings that whole thing up there again. Not one time. As a matter of fact, he goes on for another 10 years. He calls a boy by the name of Elisha up there. And Elisha comes there and follows him along. You know what the Bible says? Elisha ministered to him. You say, why? He recognized he was weak and he needed somebody to be with him to help him. You ain't going to do it by yourself. you got to have help to be able to do that. 
That doesn't mean you get up in front of a bunch of people and said, hi, my name's David and I want to kill myself. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about an Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous kind of a thing. I hope I'm not being too plain with you, but you better find somebody that you can confide in and say, hey man, can you keep an eye on me? You know, I kind of drift in dark places sometimes and I'm working on it and I'm trying, but you know, you, you might just let somebody else know uh, so they can check up on you. That's not weakness, that's wisdom. I've watched many a policeman who've seen god-awful things go out in the backyard. One of them was a sergeant. Matter of fact, Adrena even knew him. His name was Mills. And he went out and put his head in a garbage bag and took a 12-gauge and killed himself in the backyard. You know what he said in his note? <laughs> Sorry for the mess, guys. Can't do it anymore. You say, what tripped his trigger? I don't, I don't know. I don't know all the details. I know enough of the details to know that he felt like there was no way out of the mess. It wasn't even anything illegal or immoral. It was just more than he could take at the time in his life with things that were going on. He just couldn't take it anymore and thought, well, the only way out is this. Well, why don't the churches talk about it? Why don't the preachers talk about it? Why don't the Christians talk about it? It's across the board. It ain't just unsaved people doing it. Where I've been in the last few weeks is any indicator. Every place I have been, every place without exception, this may be the exception, every place I have been, there have been somebody that has been lost to suicide or has thought about it and they're sitting in the congregation while I'm preaching or in a couple of the cases, they were thinking about it when they came to church and that was their last time. They were like, I got to get something done. If I don't get something trade, I know where I'm headed. Say, well, they're just joking around and all that. You better be careful about that. You, do, you better be careful. You don't know. You say, well, I would never do that. Amen. Careful. Amen. You don't know what kind of pressure you might be under. Amen. I watched a man lose his daughter in a terrible, tragic accident. And you say, what happened? As soon as the funeral was over, he joined her. You say, well, why would he do that? Uh, that little girl's eye, man, I'm telling you what, that, in that little girl's eyes, the sun rose and set to that daddy. His heart was shattered, boy, just broken all to pieces. You say, what did he do? Finished the funeral, went to the, the thing after the deal was over with, the repass, I guess is what they call it. They get all that stuff going on. They get finished with everything like that. And he wrote a nice long letter and stuff like that and went out to his tool shed back there and see you later. It ain't all drug addicts. It ain't all dope heads. It ain't all jailbirds. It's across the board. You say, why? The devil loves to beat up your flesh. That Bible says that no man, uh, that it will harm himself. You love your wife as you love your own body because no man hateth his own flesh. Well, you get in that situation, you're contrary to the Bible and you're contrary to nature. In nature, you don't see animals killing themselves. But what happens to man? Man gets depraved in his mind and he gets to thinking, you know what, I'm no good. I've seen young girls because they couldn't get a boyfriend or because they had gland trouble, or because they didn't look like the pictures that they airbrush on television and stuff. There's a girl, she's 14, back home. I thought she was pretty. She looked a lot like you. Long kind of brunette hair, thin. She wanted to have some surgery. Her friends made fun of her in gym class and so on and so forth. And she lived right off of San Jose Boulevard. I remember her brother and her mom and dad went to a place right up the road called Famous Amos. It's like a, I don't know, like a diner kind of a thing back in those days. It's closed out. It's a dope shop now that you could go get medical marijuana. But 
They went up there and she didn't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I want to be by myself. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. They wouldn't let her have the surgery. She went into her daddy's gun cabinet and took that 12 gauge and she leaned over that 12 gauge and put her thumb in the trigger housing and when they found her, she's laying right in the foyer, right where, right where we got there. She's laying right there. You say, what in the world? 14 years of age? Yeah, but 14 years of age in her mind, the way where she was, she thought, if I can't have that, if I don't have the looks that everybody else has, my friends are making fun of me. You say, well, well, preacher, that's just ridiculous. But it's enough to trip or trigger. It was enough that she thought, I can't take it anymore. It is enough, Lord, just let me die. We've lost some people during the virus. And sit and talk to the loved ones. Sometimes it's the husband, sometimes the wife, sometimes the kids are left and mom and their dad's gone. And watch them sit there and look at you just as cold and stone-faced as some of you look tonight and blink at you and say, well, what do I have to live for? When she got sick, don't you think for one second I didn't think to myself, what in the cat hair am I going to do without her? I'm not joking around now. I'm not talking about making, you know, washing clothes and making dinner and stuff like that. I mean, man, that's like, like Jackson. I mean, Lee said about when he lost Jackson. He said, I feel like I lost my right hand. I'd feel like I lost my right hand and my right leg. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, watching tears run down there and drop off into her ears and stuff and thinking, now, wait a minute, Lord, uh, if you take her... So well, but you're a preacher. Yeah, but I've seen enough of it to know I can get in a dark place pretty quick. All it takes is just a few sharp remarks and a few unkind things and a few people to say the wrong thing and see you later. Well, I guess in the interest of time, it'll be important for me to sort of close things up. You know what Elijah found underneath that tree right there? He found that he couldn't do it by himself and he found that the whole time he wasn't by himself. One of the things consistently that I see back in the day, what you would call what we would call a clue. You put down different things together and you look for common threads or common bonds, especially if you work in serial stuff. And when you're working for serial rapist or serial murder, you look for common threads to try to figure things out. One of the common things I've seen is, is one, they have that tendency they want to be alone. And two, they get down on themselves. And then before long, you know what they say? It's enough. I've, I've had it. When they get to that point, all it takes is just a, just a tiny little push. About five, maybe eight, maybe eight weeks ago, the man had gone through a divorce. His wife gotten remarried. They lived down in another place and so on and so forth. I married his daughter to a boy there in our church. I get a phone call from the police, a friend of mine, and he said, hey, you know so-and-so? And I said, yeah. And he said... Uh, he just crawled up on the Costa Bridge up here and hung himself off of one of the girders, but the rope broke and he hit the pylons and it's bad. Saved. Sat right there in my church. Just like that. You say, well, that never happened to me. So what tripped his trigger? I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I can just tell you that something got to him enough that he is 15, 20 years young, 25 years younger than me. He's in his stinking 40s. Life's not worth being around anymore.
Christian, if there's ever any place that you could, should be able to get help, it should be in church. And if there's ever somebody to run to, the refuge is Jesus Christ. You ought to be able to run to Jesus Christ. You know what? The United States of America recognizes that they have an epidemic on their hands about that, and they're doing all these things with social programs, and none of the social programs include Jesus. And they're not effective. Amen. And I'm not here to knock it. At least they're trying. But at some point, if we don't start recognizing that just being a Christian doesn't make you immune to that, then you know what's going to happen? We're going to continue to lose them. People need help. People are ashamed of that. Why? Elijah did it. Moses got to the point where he said, well, just kill me. <laughs> I mean, you can get exasperated in life. You see, you're talking crazy. You going to tell me honestly before the Lord that made you, you never got to a point where it hadn't crossed your mind? Statistics say better than 78% of you have. Higher than that in high school. In high school, the numbers start to bump 90%. 90% of high school age kids have thought about that? Well, if that's true, whether we like the numbers or not, what are we doing about it? Well, step number one is what are you doing about it? If you're that person, the best thing you can do is, is come to Jesus and tell him. You say, what did he meet you with? He'll meet you with a pitcher of water. He'll meet you with a loaf of bread. He'll meet you with a coat to cover you up and keep you warm. He'll give you some light and some direction. He'll put his arms around you and he'll care for you like no doctor could ever. He's a great physician, by the way, don't you know? He did a miracle for the demon-possessed man of Gathering. He's the best psychiatrist you'd ever be able to go to. But you've got to be willing to come to him. You know what he says? Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. You know what he says? I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You say, but preacher, you know, it's always about seeing people saved. Do you realize that people can even feel like a failure in the ministry? Well, I was called to preach, but I dropped the ball, and I got messed up with this, and I did that, and I got married and divorced, and I committed adultery and fornication, and I did drugs, and I did drinking, and I, and the Lord said, and I called you to preach. Well, Lord, I can't preach now. Maybe you can preach in a jail or preach. No, you're no good. You're worthless. You're terrible. Did you realize you can even feel like a failure in Christian life? I didn't said I'd read my Bible and I don't. I said I'd pray and I don't. I said I'd give and I don't. That's what's danger about making all these pledges and stuff. Life gets in the way, doesn't it? Doesn't life get in the way sometimes? Who would have ever thought two years ago you'd wake up one morning and all across the news media is this pandemic thing and shut down everything. No air travel, no transits as far as buses are concerned, nobody going anywhere, and everybody running around looking like Darth Vader and stuff like that, and churches shutting down right and left, and people on one side and people on the other side. Who would have That was just two years ago. And people were going crazy, and they were making it out. Billions of people were going to die and all that kind of stuff. And anxiety was through the roof. They even made it in the news where they said that the number one things that we're selling were antidepressants. I guess so. We're jammed in our houses and can't get out. And the shades are pulled down, and we're scared of everybody because they may have it, and I don't. And if I get it, everybody's going to die if you get it. And some people, they couldn't stand the stress. 
And their life was fine. And then guess what? Their job closed. Their business closed. They don't have anything anymore. And how am I going to make it? And then the government subsidy runs out. And the way that they were going to go. And the college fund disappeared. And the money is no longer there. And the mortgage isn't paid. And the electric's not paid. And the water's not paid. And I've done everything I can do. I can't take the stress anymore. I'm out of here. And on top of that, I can't even go to church. Because the churches were closed. And people panicked. And if you look carefully and you go back, you know what you'll find? An interesting thing. They stopped tracking the suicides or they ran them underground during that time. Because they didn't want you to see how many people were, couldn't handle the stress of being locked down. I don't care if you believe in a lockdown or not, you're missing the whole point. The point is that's all it took. Everybody ain't stinking Rambo. And guess what happened? They turn on the news, they're sitting there all day, and they're like, well, you know what? If it's going to be like that, if this is how my life is going to be, what's the point of being around? If you don't have Jesus, there really isn't. If that's how life is going to be, it's like living in a prison camp. So I want you to consider something tonight, and I'm going to close. Maybe you know somebody you need to pray about pray with. Maybe somebody that you know has that problem that you can say, Lord, open a door and show me what I can do to help. Don't don't try to be their psychiatrist. Just let them know I'm here. If you need something, call me 24-7. A lot of times talking helps, but maybe it's you. If you were to come tonight, you know what I'd think? Oh, they're praying for somebody else. But you need to come to a point in your life where you recognize, where you realize Man, that's me. I've been right there. I've had that razor blade in my hand. I've had that needle in my hand. I've had that gun in my hand. I've had that rope around my neck. I've been right there. And if that's you, you know what you need to do? You need to come down here and say, Lord, you got to help me. Because he's the only one that can pull you through that. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. The preacher's going to come close the service as he sees fit. Things can get hard and things can get depressing. If they can even depress that old preacher, then certainly they can get the best of us. Probably nobody in those days closer to the Lord than he was. Let me say this as you come. I, if you have a loved one that has passed that way, nothing I said was intended to be demeaning or disrespectful. I, I empathize and sympathize with you. But the fact is, or the reality is, is that many of the people, as is indicated by the ones that are here today, have been affected by what's going on today. And it's time that we as Christians ask the Lord to help us to make it through the dark hours that are ahead. Father, we pray that you might take what's been said tonight, put it in the right words, help us to listen to the Apostle Paul as he described life as a Christian so that our expectations don't get so high. But Lord, I think, I feel pretty confident that you would have me to preach what I did tonight because there's somebody, maybe only one, that has contemplated it and been thinking about those things. And, and pray, Lord, you'll pull them out of the darkness as you pulled Jeremiah out of the pit. And Lord, that you might rescue them and help them to get the help that they need. And I pray that you'll give them what they need this evening, right now, at this moment. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.